is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Detroit Free Press columnist, radio host, author, and philanthropist Mitch Album has operated an orphanage in Haiti for several years following the devastating earthquake that essentially leveled that island nation. The work at the orphanage was what introduced Mitch to Chica a little girl who was born just three days before the earthquake and who was diagnosed with a life-threatening illness at age five. Chica came to live with Mitch and his wife Janine while Chica was receiving medical treatment here in the United States. Chica died in 2017, but her life changed everything for Mitch and Janine's family and for their lives. Chica's memory lives on and is beautifully commemorated in Mitch's newest book, which is out tomorrow, Finding Chica, a Little Girl, an Earthquake, and the Making of a Family. Mitch Album, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks, Stephen. Yeah. So I, I, I think in our lives, there are these moments that bring together opportunity and responsibility. And I, I think as I've followed this story for you, I think this is absolutely sort of the pinnacle of that kind of thing. Talk about what got you interested in Haiti and the people who live there after this earthquake. Yeah. Well, you're so right. Opportunity and responsibility, it's really well stated. Um, I don't know which was more at, at, at work when the earthquake happened. Uh, I had never heard of Haiti, you know, more than just knowing that it was a country, uh, never been there. And uh, I ended up going down a few weeks after uh, at, at the request of a local pastor who had an orphanage that he thought was destroyed. Uh, went down, it hadn't been destroyed, uh, but it was overrun. And I was so taken with what I saw. First of all, the devastation after that earthquake was, is indescribable. I still can't, 10 years later, really put into words seeing you know people covered in white dust everywhere you went, the whole city reduced to piles of rubble, you know, bodies being pulled out of, of, of it's just, I, I wouldn't ask anyone to have to go through that. But the children stood in such stark contrast to that and the joy that they still had and, and the need that they had. And, you know, at the time they were using toilets, you know, that were essentially holes in the ground and, and they didn't have any showers, not a kitchen or anything basically to, to eat. So I came back and I uh, gathered up a bunch of Detroiters, um, because we do things with our hands here, and they call themselves the Detroit Muscle Crew, and they ended up going down nine different times and built the first real toilets, showers, kitchen, uh, uh, dining room, eventually even a school. And uh, within a few months, uh, I had uh, I had one of those moments where I said, well, you know, I could operate this place if you want me to, and and the pastor said, yeah, and um, that became, I, I, I took over the operations in 2010. And since then, you know, I've admitted um, 42 children, uh, and we have uh, 47 of them there now. And my goal is to get them all college educated and then back to Haiti so they can make their country better. Wow. I love these kids like they're my own family. Uh, you know, when you take responsibility to admit someone to an orphanage and say no to 10 other kids who you don't have room for, you feel a particular sense of, as you pointed, responsibility. And then Chica was just unique. Mm -hmm. She was born three days before the earthquake, survived it, even though her house collapsed around her, slept out in the sugarcane fields from the time she was three days old until she was like six weeks old. 
and was brought to us after her mother died in that same rebuilt cinder block house, giving birth to a baby brother because there was not a doctor present. I'm sure she would be alive if she was in a hospital, but so few Haitians get to go to hospitals, even to give birth. She was brought to us for two years. She was like the bossiest, funniest, you know, little kid. She was the youngest one, and she was telling all the other ones where they could go, where they could eat, <laughs> where they could stand in line, who went to the bathroom, and we, we called her Bossy Chica. And then when she was five, um, we noticed that her face was drooping for some reason, and, and we had an MRI taken, and uh, the MRI in Haiti, and they only had one MRI machine in the whole country at the time, uh, the report was two sentences. There is a mass on the child's brain, and whatever it is, there's no one in Haiti who can help her. So we had no choice but to uh, bring her to America. I thought, well, get her to U of M, top-notch place, you know, a couple months, they'll get whatever this is out, and we'll get her back. And then we found out that when they did brain surgery, uh, it wasn't going to be that simple, that what she had was DIPG, diffuse intrinsic pontine glioma, which is basically a death sentence. Chad Carr, the grandson of Lloyd Carr, you may recall, was mm -hmm. in the news, had the same thing. He lived 14 months, and that was a long time. They told us Chica would be dead in four months and that we should take her home to Haiti and just let her live out her life there. But I said to the doctor, <clears throat> I don't think you know how tough this kid is. <laughs> and a house collapsed around her when she was three days old. She's a fighter. We're going to fight with her. And she lived two years. And during that time, Stephen, uh, she made us a family and taught me things about myself and my marriage and my world and my priorities that... Uh, I could never explain, and that's why I put it in this book, and uh, I hope that she manages to live on as a result of this story. Yeah. Uh, talk a little about the children, a little more about the children of, of Haiti. I mean, one of the things that's really remarkable, I think, in disaster is the way that children react to it. It's different than it is for adults. In some ways, it's more tragic, uh, but in some ways, it's also more hopeful and resilient as well. Yeah. And it sounds like Chica, it was absolutely sort of the nexus of all of those yeah. things. She was and all our kids were. I mean, day after the earthquake, they still wanted to play soccer uh, in the cracked areas of the ground, mm. uh, barefoot. Um, to this day, you know, even the ones who lived through the earthquake talk about, you know, running outside and being scared. But that night they were praying and doing their devotion, and they went right back to it. Resiliency is is the absolute right word, especially for kids of Haiti. I mean, this is the second poorest country in the planet, poorest on this side of the world. Average salary, $2 a day, if you can find work. Uh, 60 70% poverty rate, 50 60 70% uh, illiteracy rate. Kids don't have to pay to go to school, and so you have... 25-year-olds who are in seventh grade because they can only go when they can afford to go, and then they can't go if you don't have money. So you're in that, and it's 100 degrees all the time. <laughs> so you you have to be resilient, and our kids are. And yet, I, I was just telling Joan, the, your producer and our, my friend, uh, I never use an alarm clock in Haiti when I'm there because the kids wake me up every morning laughing, hmm. laughing. Hmm. Wow. And it is the best way to ever wake up is to hear children squealing with laughter outside in an orphanage. Yeah. Uh, I want to give people an idea of how vivacious Chica was. Uh, let's take a listen to her when she went sledding for the first time <laughs> here in the United States. What we're going to do... You're going to sled down the hill. And it's going to be your first sled ride? Yeah. By yourself? Ooh. Are you scared? 
Yeah. But you're going to do it, aren't you? Yeah. Because you're brave, right? Yeah. Okay. Ah! And... <laughs> you did it! You did it! How was that? Did you like it? Can I do it again? <laughs> yeah, of course you can do it again. Of course. Yeah. Can I do it again? It's a thing that everybody says. Every kid says right? that. Right. I mean, it's such a normal part of childhood, right. and yet for a child like Chica, it was unlikely to she, happen, right? She'd never seen snow before. She yeah. didn't even know what it was. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, we reveled in that, and I, I write that in the book, uh, you know, like, if I had everything to do over again, I would spend more time in those joyous moments because I was always worried, my wife was always worrying about, you know, what's going to happen next, doctor and all this, but she wasn't. She was just being happy. Just being a kid. And, and you know, if I had let more of that rub off on me, I might have been able to enjoy it even more than I did, although we really did enjoy it, and... We never told Chica that she was sick. Um, obviously, she went to the doctors and she knew that something. But we never talked about cancer or tumors. I never nicknamed her Tumor Tommy Tumor or anything like that. Some people do, and that can be fine. But I wanted her to be a child. And as you could hear in that, you know, she was a child. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I wonder when you look back at the way in which you met Chica, the way in which she came to change you and your family, um, if you think much, I mean, and there is a lot in the book that that certainly implies this, about just the, a lot of people would say that's chance, but then other people would say that's intention, mm. some sort of other intention that doesn't have to do with what you do or what she did or anyone else, but that there's someone else kind of involved to make all of these things possible and then to make them happen yeah uh I, i'm a big believer in that and uh you know my wife and i got married late we didn't have kids of our own and here we are in our 50s and suddenly we have these you know 47 children so we have this sort of de facto family in another country and then uh in our later 50s here comes this little girl and she's sleeping at the base of our bed and suddenly we're like 20 year olds you know getting up at night taking her to the bathroom getting up real early, making the breakfast. Uh, you know, she wants to come down and sit by my legs while I'm working in the morning. And, and in fact, the book is kind of set up that way. Mm -hmm. uh, it's all these conversations that with her back again, you know, I try to take the horror out of the book and, you know, you know from the first page what happens to her, but yet she's back visiting me and asks, tell me my story, tell me my story, which she did all the time. And, you know, why did that happen to us so late in life? After we didn't have children, my, my wife desperately wanted kids and now all of a sudden we had one and yet we only had one for a short period of time my wife likes to say she wasn't the perfect kid but she was perfect for us mm. you know she was uh loud and and funny and brash and brave and i do think that things do happen for a reason maybe you make them so because inside of you is some kind of thing that's intentionalizing you know where you're going or maybe it's an outside force um, but whatever it is, you sort of get in life what you what you deserve and what you what you hope for if you if you're if you're honest about it. And uh, we certainly were grateful to get you know. And even towards the end of the book, I say we didn't lose a child; we were given a child, and mm. that's a big message of the book. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, um, you use that word horror uh, just when you were describing yeah. this this 
relationship with with Chica. And I remember when she died in in 2017, the piece that you wrote uh, in the Free Press was, I mean, just the most um, the most moving remembrance of her. But but again, horror is is the thing that I think you have to remind yourself to 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 be able to feel and take in around this. This is a tragedy for her, for you, uh, for everyone. Yeah, but, you know, she lives in a nation of tragedy. Tragedy is no stranger in Haiti, and uh, it happens all the time. In fact, we have our staff members. I remember one of my directors there who said, can I have a couple days off? I said, sure. I said, why? He said, my sister died. Your sister died? How old was she? Twelve. Was she sick? We don't know. You don't know what happened. Well, she got, she was failing bad, and, and we tried to put her into a bus, but we couldn't get a bus to take her to some place to see a doctor, and she just died. And that happens all the time. And so Chica being able to avail herself of medical treatment here in Detroit, then we went to New York. We lived in Germany for brief periods of time to get her immunology treatments. She managed to, to get two years out of life when, if she was in Haiti, she would have been dead within four months. Mm. So how do you look at that? You look at that as a blessing or a curse. To me, you know, a life is a life. If the life was meant to be seven years old, then she filled every day of those seven years. If a life is meant to be 93 years old, fill all your days of 93. I just wanted to celebrate her and, and, to, and to share with people the things that a child can teach you, even when you think you know it all. And certainly by your mid-late 50s, you kind of think, I got this life thing down. I'm, I am who I am. And I was so wrong and so changed and so upturned by her on everything having to do with time and priorities and even understanding my marriage and all the rest of that, that you realize you're never done learning. And sometimes it's a child who will do the teaching for you. Mm. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Mitch Album about his relationship with Chica, the young girl from Haiti who he came to care for here in the United States. Uh, stay with us on Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest is Mitch Album, Detroit Free Press columnist, radio host, author, and philanthropist. He has a new book that comes out tomorrow titled Finding Chica, A Little Girl, An Earthquake, and the Making of a Family. It is about the relationship he built with a young girl from Haiti and an orphanage that he runs there and how that relationship has changed him and his family uh, over the years that they were together. Um, Mitch, I want to I talk about writing this book. Um, you've written a lot of books, uh, but this is different, and I, I mean, I think the the personal nature of it obviously is the thing that makes it the most different. Um, talk about why you wanted to memorialize her in this way, and how you brought yourself to be able be able to do that. Well, as a writer, you know, sometimes writing just becomes cathartic, and so first and foremost, it was a way of my dealing with my own grief. Um, secondly. I wanted people to know who she was. You know, I, I became very frustrated after she passed away and that, you know, everything was past tense. 
and she wasn't there anymore. And I thought, well, one of the ways that people can kind of know who she is and she can kind of live on for as long as they print books or there's one more person to read it is to write her story. Um, I also knew I wanted to raise money for the orphanage and I'm not taking any money for this book. All of the profits that come in from it will go towards the kids. And so in that way, she sort of helps her brothers and sisters. And then comes the actual sitting down and writing of it. Mm -hmm. And I decided very early on, I was not going to write a book that kind of starts at the beginning and goes all along and, 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 and you go, oh no, she's going to die soon or not. Cause I didn't want people to be scared of the book or, or think it was overly sad. So Chica used to sit at my feet when I would work because I write in the mornings and she got up early and, and, and I would try to let my wife sleep because she was going to be with her the rest of the day. <laughs> and so she would come downstairs with me and sit by my feet and play with a doll or play with a magic marker, whatever it was, and I would write. And of course, she would interrupt me every 30 seconds. <laughs> and so I decided, let's do it that way. And so right on the very first page, you find out that she died, but you also see that she's back. And she's sitting there with me, talking to me in these conversations that are sort of half imagined and half real because I do talk to her all the time. And when I do sit at my desk in the morning, I close my eyes and she's there again. And she basically says, you know, why aren't you writing about me? You should write about me. And, you know, that's the way that she kind of talked. And so I start to write about her. Well, what happened then? And why'd you do this? And she asked me a lot of questions. And her speaking was so important to who she was. She was so curious and she butchered the English language because it wasn't her first tongue. And it was so much of a part of her that I had to be a dialogue. And so I wrote the book in that way. And in that way, it's more funny and uplifting and insightful. And I think you have some sound of her, the we way do. she talked. We do. You might tell um, it better than uh, but Yeah. Before we get to that, though, I, I want to talk about how this mechanism of uh, talking to someone, someone talking to you, yeah. Has has a real power for you. I mean, the the book that made you famous, or more famous than maybe you already were, uh, Tuesdays with Maury, is really the same yeah. kind of That's right. tale. You know what's ironic, Stephen, is I found out that Chica uh, was was sick twenty years, almost to the week that I found out that Maury Schwartz was sick. Wow! And I ended up, of course, spending time with Maury and sitting beside a dying old man. And then here 20 years later, I end up spending two years with a dying little girl. Mm. Both of them taught me amazing things. And I learned how to listen. I learned how to listen a long time ago. It's part of my job anyhow, but sitting alongside someone who's dying, you really listen because you don't know if it's going to be the last conversation. And there were times, and I wrote this in the book, that I talked to Chica and I would stare at her and she would say, why are you looking at me? And I I realized I was trying to memorize her uh, because you don't know if that's going to be the last time. Nights before surgery, nights before experimental treatments, who knows if she comes out of it okay. So, um, you know, writing that down and listening, having those conversations, to me is how you capture personality. And when I wrote Tuesdays with Maury, I had to write the way Maury talked because he was funny. And, you know, I remember I said, uh, hey, you have, you have ALS, Lou Gehrig's. Do you remember Lou Gehrig? Today, today, I consider myself, consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. And he said, yeah, well, I didn't say that. <laughs> you know, and, and now, there's no way to write that. Right. You have to say it in a conversation, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. And it's the same way with Chica, you know, writing when she would sing, uh, Doa, dear, uh, email, dear. And we'd say, no, Chica, it's female. <laughs> what? It's female, not email. No, it's not. It's my mouth. I can say what I want. You know, <laughs> you can't write that. You just have to replay the conversation. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I do want to play uh, some more clips of Chica. Uh, I want to play a clip called Happy Tears. This is when you took her back. It was the night before Haiti. we were taking her back to Haiti, and I was curious because she was all bloated up on steroids, and she had her hair shaved, and I wondered if she was a little worried about that. Mm. Are you a little scared about going back to Haiti? Mm, a little bit. I'm crying happy tears. I'm a little sad, but I'm still happy to tickle you. Stop <laughs> 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 tickling me. Yeah. yeah. That was, she had a great laugh, and she loved to tickle, and she loved to, uh, you know, find some kind of fun in, in everything that she did. And, again, that kind of sound and those kind of conversations, there are not enough words in the English language to write around them. You just have to put quotation marks and put the sentences in because the way she said it was who she was. Yeah, yeah. Um, what was it like when you took her back to Haiti? How did that She go? went total of three times. The first time was remarkable. And the kids were, she, she had the whole thing plotted out and she had the whole scam and she, she said, I don't want them to see me. I'll hide behind the car and then I'll get out of the car and I'll just say, here I am, you know. <laughs> and sure, that's pretty much what happened. And she, she popped out and the kids mobbed her and then they were chanting, chica, 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 when we came into the orphanage. And she ran, she didn't know what to do. There was such a fuss over her. She ran to the swings and she got on a swing and she just started swinging oh, back and wow. forth. And I thought, wow, if I could just capture a moment and give this to her, you know, all the kids watching her while she was swinging, she was back home. Um, the second time we went was uh, at, at a, at a uh, um, Easter time. Uh, and the last time she was so sick that she threw up the night that I brought her there. And she was so out of it that she didn't even say goodbye to the kids when we left. And, and I always regretted that. Although they would FaceTime her, you know, uh, and, say, and sing to her at night. And they sing a song, um, Love, by uh, Nat King Cole. Mm -hmm. uh, and they still do to this day, every night during devotion. They sing, uh, you know, L is for the way you look. Because Chica loved that song. And then they, when they finish, they go, one, two, three, good night, Chica. And they all yell that. Wow. And uh, I think we have, we have a clip of her singing. Oh, yeah. Well, this is pretty unique. Nat King Cole song. Let's yeah. take a listen to that. getting dressed while she was Is doing that. Right? She's putting on a <laughs> nightgown. Um, that I don't I don't know how you write that. You just have to put that in. But right? she, the butchering the language, the teasing that I know, but you don't, you know, that's who Chica was. And and um, you know, to be able to provide that's God's funny trick. You know, you're 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 burdened with this how do we find a cure for this incurable disease? You're on the phone all the time. You're on email all the time. You're checking around the world, a clinic in London, a clinic in Mexico, a clinic. And you just feel like, how, how can I do this? How can I save a life? And then you come upstairs and you get that. 
And 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 wow. it's it's like life's way, God's way, whatever you choose to believe, of just balancing, you know, and mm-hmm. saying, don't despair. There's still this. There's still this joy of this child, and um, that's what I try to get across in the yeah. book. In that clip, we also hear your wife Janine yeah. uh, talk about how this has moved her, how this has changed her. Well, you know, it's funny, Stephen, because. Um, you know, guys, certain guys, anyhow, me, I should say, but there are others. You know, when you get married, you kind of think, well, if we have children, I'm going to kind of get shoved to the side a little bit, I bet. You know, my wife's going to pay more attention. You worry about such silly things like that. We tried to have children. We weren't, you know, it didn't happen for us. Like I say, we got married late. But I always sort of remember thinking that. And now here comes this child into our life in our 50s, late 50s. And not only did it not take my wife away from me it showed me a side of her that was so amazing mm-hmm. and the time and the effort that she was suddenly able to put in this child i never even asked hey is it okay if i bring chica up or whatever she has but it was just a given and she just turned her life over to her and i was so proud of her and so uh that's not even the word because it's not for me to be proud of but i was just so so blessed to say wow look at how this motherhood just kicked in mm-hmm. and and when she would sit with Janine, um, Chica would pull Janine's hair over her head because Janine has long, dark hair, and say, Mr. Mitch, we have the same hair now, you know, <laughs> things like that. Or she would sing her lullabies. And, and I saw a whole side of, of my wife and therefore my marriage that I never had a chance to appreciate before. And, of course, she was devastated, devastated when, when Chica uh, died. But to the end, she believed she was going to be a miracle. She believed, you know, it's going to turn around, even to the last day. Mm. Um, okay, we should talk about uh, places you can go see Mitch and get a signed copy of his book, November 11th at Barnes & Noble, uh, 396 John R. Road in Troy at 7.30 p.m., and November 12th at the Barnes & Noble in Huron Village, 3235 Washtenaw, Ann Arbor, 7.30 p.m. Um, Mitch, I, uh, I am just overwhelmed, I think, as most people who've read this story or read the book uh, are going to be. Um, it really is um, a remarkable uh, story of again this this nexus between opportunity and yeah. responsibility that I think a lot of people can relate to. Well, I'll I'll end with the the funniest and most poignant thing she ever told me was when uh, I had to carry her towards the end of her life everywhere. You know, because my wife couldn't carry her and she couldn't walk, and so to the bathroom, to the kitchen, to the bedroom, wherever I was her transportation. And then one afternoon. We were sitting and coloring, which she loved to do, and, and uh, I looked at my watch. I realized I was late for work. So I popped up. I said, Chica, I got to go. She said, no, Mr. Mitch, stay here and color. I said, Chica, I can't. I got to work. And she said, no, stay. I said, this is my job. And she said, no, it's not. Your job is carrying me. <laughs> and she was earnest. She really thought my, that was my job. Yeah. But then I realized, well, of course it is. That's my job is to carry her. That's all our jobs is to carry our children, especially sick and, 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 and poor children. And what more noble job is there than that? And the last, I, I do lessons in the book, and that's the last lesson she teaches me about what we carry. And what we choose to carry kind of defines us. And wow. I've been very blessed, uh, Stephen, in my later part of my life to find out that I have been asked to, and I consider it a blessing, carry children. And I'm going to carry those kids as I carried her for the rest of my life and make sure that they're taken care of those 47 children um, and they have an opportunity that Chica did not. Mm. 
Okay. Mitch Album, always great to have you here with Thank us you. on Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen. That's going to do it for me today. Come back tomorrow. I'm going to sit down with Steve Luxenberg, the author of Separate, the story of Plessy versus Ferguson and America's journey from slavery to segregation. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk more tomorrow.